chapter 6, verse 2. So some of you know that um, i got two more Sundays after this, then I'm off for the summer um, for sabbatical, and, and I really want to finish First Timothy. So uh, those of you who know me also know that the last few verses of whatever text I preach on, they always get like two minutes. <laughs> and, and it's hard to squeeze all this in in three weeks. But um, we're going to try to finish up First Timothy between now and the next two weeks. So we pick up at verse 3 of chapter 5. And those of you who know me know that yesterday uh, I lost my older brother Paul. Um, he died suddenly and unexpectedly um, in the house of my other brother Jonathan, uh, in a place that he loved, around family and nieces and nephews that he loved. My sister-in-law was making him breakfast, um, and he, he passed away like that. Um, and I tell you that for a couple reasons. The service isn't about me in any way, but sometimes you wonder, um, how could you get up and preach after that? And um, it's the only thing I can do. Uh, David in 2 Samuel lost his son. If you remember that story in 2 Samuel, he lost his son, and he was so upset when the son was sick uh, that, that his servants thought he would harm himself. The text says they were concerned. They didn't even want to tell him that his son had died because they were afraid he would harm himself, and the opposite happened. They told David, your, your, your son has de- is dead, and David got up and he cleaned himself and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And um, there's no place I would rather be than in the house of the Lord with the people of God. And as David said to his servants, I say to you, my older brother is not going to come back to me, but I will go to him. It's sad. It's a great loss. I'll be gone most of this week uh, helping the family in Colorado with those things. But it, it makes everything we do, it reminds us how fragile life is and how important it is. How wonderful it is to have a little huck to say hello to someone new when in a week we will say goodbye for a season to someone else. With that in mind, uh, let's read God's Word. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Just a little context. You know, Timothy had been instructed last week. The apostle said, now Timothy, this is kind of the summary. He said, guard yourself and your doctrine. Timothy, guard yourself and your doctrine. Because, Timothy, you're going to teach my people the truth and don't do anything in your life that would make them disbelieve the truth. All right, so then he said, in a summary, he said, so because of that, I want you to treat the older men in your church like fathers with respect and and the younger men like brothers and the older women like your mother and the younger women like your sisters. And so uh, he had started with this idea that the church is the family of God. And so that's where we pick up this continuation of the various types of people that would be in that church in Ephesus. Verse 3, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, 
having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has a relative who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who rule under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Timothy, watch over yourself. Make sure that nothing you do in your life will distract from the ministry. As we see here, he says that, that um, in order that the teaching of God, in verse 1 of chapter 6, may not be reviled. So in all things, Timothy says, as you manage this household, this church, this community of believers, that's going to have old people, young people, slaves and masters in the same church. Uh, Timothy, in all that you do, may it reflect what God has done for you. Now, that's a lot of text to get through in the next 20 minutes. So we're not going to exhaustively go through it. There's, there's so much more in there to talk about. But this morning, I want us really to consider, uh, since this church is the family of God, that we treat each member of it. And there's really three distinctions. There's the widows, and the scripture always puts widows and orphans together because there's a lot of similarities uh, socially and with care and with needs. Widows, orphans, the elders in your church, and then those who are slaves. Um, you know, next Sunday after worship, we go to Sheffield's and we have a great big picnic. And we, I think we are the church that the college student will want to bring their roommate to meet, to be a part of. You know, I've always said that, 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 that when my kids would were off in college and they wanted to bring a roommate, that was, that was like the greatest compliment they could give me. Hey, uh, can we bring so-and-so? I want them to have mom's turkey. You know, I, I want them to come to worship with us. I want, they don't, they, they've not seen family operate the way that our family operates. Uh, 
our church is to be that. It is to be that body um, that draws the widow, the orphan, the elderly, and even those under the yoke or the bondage, maybe not of slavery per se, but enslaved in poverty in different ways. And so this first section, the longest section, is about widows from chapter three, from chapter five, verse three to 16. Uh, how do we deal with widows? And in the ancient Near East, a woman's identity was absolutely tied into her marital status. You may not know this, but the dowry, uh, the dowry was really the father's way of caring for his daughter. So when the father gave a daughter away, the dowry was in, in a sense to say to the husband, she should always be taken care of. Now, I know in our culture, it looks terrible that you would give a woman away and she's a piece of property. And sometimes it really was. It was dealt with that way, for sure. Alliances were made and all those kind of things. But, but in some sense, there was this beauty in it that me as a father is not just entrusting to you, my daughter, but I'm entrusting to you this money, this dowry. So if something happens to you, the dowry should go with her. Now, of course, that didn't always happen. And so uh, we have widows and really the danger that they were in. Add to that, if a widow was to forsake Judaism or the temple of Diana, which was in Ephesus, and become a Christian, she would lose family support. She didn't have the government to fall back on. The Romans weren't known for their welfare state. She didn't have anybody to go back on. And many times it was assumed that the only thing for her was prostitution. So it was very, very critical that this body, first and foremost, said, we will take care of our widows. We will not trust it to the government. We will take care of our widows. Think about this. Um, when we talk about, in, in the sermon, in the sense, the care demonstrated by Jesus, all right, and each member. Okay, so uh, the church is the family of God. We must treat each member. In this text, you're going to talk about enrolling as if there is a list and you're enrolled and you fill it out. It's like, it's like getting health care. Are you eligible? Uh, you're enrolled. And, and because the care was so good, there were those tempted to be enrolled. There were the tempted to be converted so that they could be cared for. But it's so important to God. So in Psalm 68, God is described as father of the fatherless. Protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. In Deuteronomy, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. In Psalm 146, the Lord watches over sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In Proverbs 15, the Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he maintains the widow's boundaries. In Acts chapter 6, the widows are so important to the church in Jerusalem. But the apostles say, we, we need to make sure that we have godly men, uh, godly men caring for them and their finances and the finances of the church. And so they set apart and they set aside these seven deacons. They were instructed. In that situation, there were Greek widows and there were Jewish widows. And the charge was that the Jewish widows were getting taken care of because you know, Christianity, the way, came out of the Jewish uh, religion. And so... They, 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 they seem to be getting more. And so right there at the beginning of the church, there was a struggle. It was a racial struggle. You're going to treat the Jewish women better than the Greek widows? So um, it, it's been demonstrated all throughout church history. 
and the scriptures. Uh, yesterday, Tammy and I went to visit my mom at uh, Grandwood Nursing Home. And um, when you walk in there, I, I say it feels at times like you're walking into uh, what Hollywood would portray as an orphanage. You're walking into it, and, and because she's in a memory care unit, there's, all, there's, you know, there's just a lot of people that are confused. But you can tell when you, when you walk in that there are those looking and saying, are they here for me? Are they here for me? Um, and I, I, you know, I walk past them. I say hi, I say hello, walk past them, and we go right to my mother. And it takes a minute for my mother to recognize. I have to pull my mask off. I have to say some words to her before she knows who it is. But I have a special relationship with her because she's my mom. Now, this scripture is saying church. Just as we all said amen to Huck Wayne, we say amen to the widows and the orphans in our church. There is a special relationship. I walk past the other old ladies. I don't mean I hate them. It means I have special, I have a special commitment and obligation. Now, you are my family. She is my mom. Ergo, she is your mom. And when we're gone this summer, it's on you. And that's how it should be. That's what he is saying. Church, set an example in the world of the way you care for those who may at times seem like they're not bringing anything in, they're not performing, they're not giving, they're not doing. And so I'm going to run through this quickly. In the outline, it says the definition of a, wet, of a widow. Uh, it was important that they had kind of a, I mean, really, it was, it was like a, a registration sheet. Uh, and he lists these characteristics. Um, their biological family, he says, they should take care of them first. And he uses this term, godliness. Now, we're going to talk about godliness next week at Easter. Godliness with contentment is of great value. Godliness throughout has been the mark of the church. Will we act like God? Will we have his attributes? Will we treat our widows as God has treated us? It's such an important concept. It's such foundational in Christian community. We don't treat people like they deserve. No one comes to the cross and say, I've deserved this. No one. They all say, God, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And so the first thing he says is, if you have a widow in your own family, don't pawn her off in some sense to others. Don't burden the church like I'm going to burden you. Her family should take care of her. It's important. Um, and, and then he lists really kind of four things about this. Uh, the first, he says, is uh, kids. Take care of your parents. I love it. He's like, uh, they should receive some return. I love it when I talk about my kids and you guys try to figure out which one. All of you were wrong last week, by the way. It was Luke, so just so you know. Uh, Luke was the one that deserved to be punched in the face, so not Jordan, uh, at least not that time. Uh, one of my kids complaining about something, and I said, wait, don't you remember why we had you? And he looks at me, he goes, I know, I know, so I could cut the grass. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> 
That's why we had you. That's why we fed you. That's why you're still alive. So you can go cut our grass. In some sense, the apostle is saying that the parents should have a return. Now again, not as they deserve, as they need. Right? So many people, like my dad was bad to me, so therefore I get to be bad to him. My mom neglected me, therefore I get to neglect her. Uh, And yet God is saying in the family of God, we treat people as they need. We repay, if it's in our family, we repay our parents. Verse 4, he says, remember now, this is pleasing to God. And so he gives this list of what is necessary. Um, Not younger than 60, they've been faithful. Um, Really, do they have material need and are they spiritually godly, he says. Now, you know why that's important? Because when my truck is parked here, more than half of the door knocking is someone wanting money. And I have to go through this with them. It may be a young man in his 30s that says he's driving across the country and he's got his family in his car. This is not saying, church, you have to feed all the poor. This is primarily saying, church, your primary responsibility is to those entrusted in your care. And when that person knocks on the door, I think about the money that's been given, money in our deacon fund, and who is it for? I think, now, if I, if I take that from them and I give it here, then what's going to happen to our widows, our orphans? What's going to happen? Uh, and that's where this comes from. So he is saying it, and the same, you know, the text we use in Matthew for the confession, he says, you've done it to my brothers. Remember that? Jesus isn't just saying the way to heaven is just to give money to everybody. And if you give enough, then you've done good enough works and you're going to heaven. No, he says, when you give to the brothers, right? He's assuming, and we should assume this, that a Christian is a part of a community, that a Christian belongs to a community, that a Christian is enrolled, that a Christian is a member of a church, that a Christian has elders and deacons. They have a structure. They have people that are in their lives. They're going to ask them tough questions. They're going to be there when their heart is breaking, when things are going wrong, when they're on death's doorstep. They're going to be there for them. It's their church. It's their community. And so he is saying, in that community, Timothy, beware. There may be some younger widows that come in. I'm like, man, I love this. And that's what he's talking about here. He's not saying every young woman that's a widow does this. He goes, just be aware of that. Timothy, you're going to have to be wise. People will look to take advantage. And so I think it's great. He lays out, here are the duties of a widow. Uh, She sets her hope on God. She has a reputation for good works. She raised her children if she had some, and she has shown hospitality. Uh, She belongs to the church. The church knows her. In Charlottesville, we had a rich widow. We had probably some others too. We had one rich widow. And you know what we'd do for her every year? Is all the youth, we'd rake up her leaves because she had this ginormous yard. She didn't need money from the church. She needed care and attention. She needed kids coming over every once in a while and visiting her. We care for our widows. We care for our orphans. He says, repay your parents. Please, God. Uh, Thirdly, he says to express our faith. It's how we express our faith to the world. And fourthly, make sure that we relieve the church of a burden if they belong to us. Caring for the widow and the orphan, it should be the church's social security. Widows and orphans in our church should know they are cared for. In the Old Testament, Moses told them that there wouldn't be poor among you. 
When he said that, Moses wasn't saying, if you're poor, you don't belong to Israel. No, he's saying, if you're poor, you belong to Israel, and all that is ours is yours. I hate to use this term, but it's like Christian communism. Right? We share. We understand God's gifted one in maybe making money. God's gifted another one in, 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 in work and, and the abilities and medicine. God's gifted another one in teaching. And, and as a body, we are complete. Secondly, <clears throat> elders, verses 17 to 25. There's probably two types of elders that are listed here. Uh, they say give double honor. So just so you know that, I'm an elder, so double honor. Uh, isn't that interesting? So, I mean, I didn't write that, but it's, it's there, and who am I to say? Um, but it's interesting that each, each section says honor, right? We're to honor widows. At the bottom, it says slaves. You're to honor your masters. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff written about that double honor. I think it means we're supposed to get paid twice as much <laughs> as the rest of you. So, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's in there. I don't think that's what it means. But he does talk about workmen deserves his wages. He says even in the Old Testament, God showed care over animals and said, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading the grain. In some sense, saying, don't restrict life. But uh, here's what he says concerning the elders and understand <clears throat> he's not just talking about old men but the elders and and remember earlier he talked about what qualifies as an elder okay so you got to remember this context is existing that in chapter 3 he said here's who to be the elders over you and now he's saying Timothy uh, and I listen in your notes uh, there are five things the first is appreciation um, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching let me tell you y'all do that really well uh, for both me and Tammy, we feel loved, we feel honored, we feel cared for. Um, y'all, y'all do a great job with that, uh, and we really do. We feel appreciated. We feel like we're listened to and we're heard. Um, the second is accusations. Timothy, understand that an elder will receive accusations. They're going to be a target. They will go after your leadership to hurt the church. So. Uh, if there's an accusation, and there may be because their job is to discipline, the job is to teach, the job is to hold people accountable. Um, we have censures in the Presbyterian Church. We, we get involved in people's lives, and sometimes people are like, you do that as a church? What if you get sued? Um, like, it's our call. We stand before the great judge of all the earth. So there's a chance, a good chance, that elders will receive accusations. Timothy, he says a couple things. He says, don't be impartial. Make sure there's more than one witness. It's not just some disgruntled person. Especially consider what he said in the context here. You're a widow and you're not on the list. You're a widow and you're told, you know what? You need to go and you need to work. <laughs> you need to go and, and, and not sit around and go from house to house. And you, you know, I love your tennis outfit, but uh, it's maybe time you get a job, right? Uh, they're going to, they may not say it that way. We, we would never do that, but I'm not a deacon anyway. Uh, it's not in my notes either. Uh, but, but in some sense, you can see how someone would get upset and say, have you heard that you know, they, they don't care for widows over there? Like, really? Have you heard that their orphans get kicked out to the curb like they do in the pagan temples? Really? Right? If, if it happens, Timothy, hear the accusation, but make sure you have at least two witnesses. Be impartial. Uh, Timothy... Um, uh, show caution when you lay hands, and Timothy show discernment. Look at their 
lives. Um, I hate that we're rushing through this because it's super, super important. The Church of Jesus Christ has suffered much damage and has inflicted much damage because it seems at times across the board we don't police ourselves. It seems at times we have non-disclosures. It seems at times we have payoffs. It seems at times that minister moves to another church and finds a new, new group of people to hurt. Um, Timothy, it, it, you, you must show discernment before you ordain them. And Timothy, you must show discretion. Do not be impartial. So you understand the balance here. He's saying, don't just accept any charge against them, but if there is a charge... By all means, get to the bottom of it. Let me tell you, that's one of the most horrible things to do. So, you know, we're Presbyterian, and we have a session, and then we have a whole group of presbyters, pastors, and, and elders of other churches, and we meet, and we do this. We receive a complaint. Okay, it happened twice to me when I was the chairman of that committee. I received a complaint. And then we searched it out, and we received 11 complaints. And we sought the counsel of the Lord and we disciplined our ministers. Timothy, do it. Timothy, entrust the elders and understand discernment. I, I think here the iceberg principle, right? I mean, it's what he tried to get at in chapter 3. You know, uh, uh, you might see one, you might see 10% of the person on a Sunday. You might see only 10% of what's really going on. Timothy, before you put hands on someone, and by that he means you're ordaining someone, you're giving someone authority. Timothy, before you do that, show great discernment. The last group mentioned in these two verses is bond servants. The big idea behind this is not, hey, uh, the Bible is pro-slavery. Okay? And I have to say that because sometimes people look at this and they say, oh, so slaves are still supposed to honor. If we believe the Bible, if we take it, Literally, is that what it means? No, it's not what it means because in chapter 1, verse 10, he put those who buy and sell human beings in that list of all horrific things that human beings do to one another. Right? In Ephesians, in Colossians, uh, in, even in the Old Testament, the buying and selling of humans, right? That was that could receive the death penalty. Okay? So he's not saying, hey, slavery is a good thing. He is saying, and it makes sense right at the bound, that there is no, there is no reason for your teaching to be reviled. He is saying in whatever circumstance you are in, yes, you, you should seek to be freed of the yoke of slavery. Right? It's said that elsewhere in Scripture. Of course you should be. He even says it to himself when he's in chains. Right? I wish everyone was like me. Paul says, except for my chains, of course. Right? I, I don't want everyone in jail with me. But what is Paul saying? I was put in jail, and while I'm in jail, what do I do in jail? Preach the gospel. What do I do if I have a yoke of slavery? I honor my master. Why do I honor my master? Does he deserve it? Maybe, maybe not. I honor my master because God loves me. And I don't deserve it. Because God is the master of my master. And yes, I will seek my freedom. And, and, and yes, it's a horrible institution. It's a yoke. I'm bound to it. My freedoms have been taken away. But until that master pushes me to disown my Lord and Savior, I will honor them. We see this, we see this absolutely in the life of Joseph, don't we? I mean, he, he, he honors the Lord. 
in the midst of being sinned against. Um, so, brothers and sisters, what does this mean for us? It means the church is the family of God. We're big on that. and We treat each member with value and care in the same manner that it is demonstrated by Jesus. The members of our family. How wonderful that today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes, the scripture says, humble and mounted on a donkey. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is our king. He is our master. We yoke ourselves to him. We belong to him. He leads, guides, directs, disciplines. He comes in to overthrow this present ruler. He comes to give his life to the widow as a husband, to the orphan as a father, to the elders. They're freed from their bondage and they're equipped to lead. And the slave, free to serve. The whole identity of the church of God is wrapped up as a people who belong to the king. As a people redeemed and ransomed and dearly loved. In our church, let's strive. As the vow said, by all the means of God's appointment, let us strive. Love and serve one another as Christ loved and served us. Let's pray. How wonderful, Father, that uh, we get to come to your table now. That you are the king who won the great victory. It was more than a military victory. It was a spiritual victory. You defeated death. You defeated our enemy. You freed us from the bondage of our sin, from the captivity of our darkened minds, and you have ushered your people into the kingdom of light. Whether widow, whether orphan, whether one entrusted with leadership, whether one enslaved, our identity is tied to you. We belong to you. You have given yourself for us. Oh, thank you, King. Father, would you this next week prepare our hearts to celebrate resurrection? We know quite a bit went on in the minds of these people. They were fickle. In one moment, they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And less than a week later, they're yelling, crucify him. And maybe it is that way for some of us, Father. We, we see you coming in as a king to rid us of our addictions, our bondage, and our sin. And we say, Hallelujah, come, Lord Jesus. And then as your spirit works in our hearts and you start showing us sinful behaviors, patterns, beliefs, idols that we want to cling to, that we demand you don't take from us, how quickly in our own minds do we say, oh, We want a different king. And how wonderful that your response wasn't dependent upon how we responded. You are, as the scripture says, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. 
That your word has said that, that before the world was even formed, the earth was even set on its axis, that you, O oh Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, divide this wonderful plan that you would save a people, that you would choose a people primarily so you would just show your glory, primarily that your grace would shine forth and in your own pleasure you would have a people for yourself. Now, Father, as we take this bread and we drink this cup, that it is our family meal, young and old, rich and poor, slave and free, single and divorced and orphan, that we would gather around your table and we would be filled. The righteousness that you have won on our behalf, we would take the bread and we would say, it is mine by faith. I have nothing left to prove. The blood that you spilled to cleanse us of guilty conscience and our sin. As we drink that cup, we would say, his blood has gone in my place. Who can accuse me? Can anyone accuse the Son of God? Therefore, I am free. May we celebrate it in such a manner, Father, that does empower our hearts to live as the family of God. We ask this now in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.